Jukebox Java Hey guys, this is Ben from Jukebox Java. Thanks for listening to another episode. Today we're going to talk about what to know before entering the recording studio. If you're a musician, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, then you know that at some point in your life you will be entering a studio, if not multiple times. So we wanted to give you guys some tips and tricks so that you would be better prepared next time you go in. So have a listen, and we hope you enjoy our episode. You're listening to Jukebox Java, a caffeinated music podcast with Ben Wallach and Yakir Hyman. Decide that I've definitely never given enough credit to just because I was so uh, head down and the whole live thing but like recording is amazing recording it's amazing. yeah amazing it's so cool to like i was so obsessed with live music being this experience and you go and you know there's endorphins and you feel good after and you have a good time and whatever it is and like um i guess in a way i thought it was superior um also because it's a great way to keep revenue coming in in a world where people aren't purchasing as much music um, or on a consumer level, I guess. Yeah. But recording, like, is now that I have a totally new uh, perspective on it, it's that's like where I want to jam out a little bit now is on recording stuff. So I totally have a new appreciation for the stuff you've been involved in. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kier, just uh, are we rolling? This is part of the. Episode. I guess. I don't know. Because you just kind of segued us into this pretty awesomely. All right. Well, let's segue. Let's keep That's the segue funny going. Sh- funny you should say that after sending me like a re- uh, home little home recording you did the other day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of it. Is just doing. It's like let's just let's just record some stuff and see what happens. And because recording is like can become this whole different creative outlet. Yeah. Like ideas can can start just flowing and rolling. As you go, like, totally. you know, ideally you have an idea in your head, you don't just go in blank, but like, it's just so, the process is just something I have a whole new appreciation for. I get a lot of my inspiration while I'm in the process of recording. Like, that's just how I work, you know? It's like, it's like painting, you know? It's like my canvas, you know? It's like, oh, maybe this works. Then and you keep adding things like, oh, this needs this kind of a, a melody. This needs this kind of a baseline and, and so on and so on. Right. It's cool. I like the structure that you need to, to get into recording. I like that it takes because artists always have such a, you know, the creative just wants to be free. Mm. And, but to record something is, um, it's very limiting in a way, but it's freeing as well. But it's, but it, in terms of, um, like as an idea, as an as a concept, recording yeah. can be limiting because you're putting it down, and it has to, you know, there's written parts, and it has a beginning, and it has an end, and it's produced, and it's sort of forever in a way. It's like signed, right. sealed, delivered to the world. Yeah, this is uh, circa you know 1972. <laughs> this is what we sound like. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. Yeah, it can define like the era for yeah, an artist for sure. It's cool. I'm, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I think it's like it's similar with like all mediums. Is there, is what you have is what you use, and your limitations, your limitations are basically what cause you to be creative, right? Because if you had no limitations and you could do anything, like what would you even decide to do? So like just by deciding I'm a I'm a musician, that's already limiting yourself to being creative in one thing, and like that's great. And then I'm in the recording studio, like it has to go down. This is going to be on tape. This is going to be official. You're narrowing your options, but that's like what causes you to do great things. Right. And I, I think, think, I think that's actually a good segue into what we, what we want the topic of this episode to be about, which is what, what you say. I, I, I don't about. know what, how we're going to title this officially <laughs> on the website, but <laughs> until then, uh, it's what to expect for, you know, for your recording session. What's the deal with recording? Right. And I think I think that's a, that's a good segue because we're talking about the the limiting and stuff, which can sort of be the flip side of things like organization. And we're going to touch on, you know, how to sort of organize yourself and your project and your music and your ideas and, and logistics to like to know about before you go into the studio. Right. Yeah. So totally. like fits into like the compartmentalization of things we were talking about before. How do you want to get started with like like going in? Yes, like, I do. 
Let's, yes. Let's just do it. We're going into the studio. Like, do you mean that we're like, I open the door and I'm walking in or I'm at my house and I'm about to get in the car or like it's a week before and I'm thinking about going in? Where are we in that process right now? I think you're, you're at the process where you've written a song or you have a bunch of songs and it's time to record. Your band or you as a person have decided it's time to put this down on tape. It's time to make this official and put out whatever it is that you're doing. Here you are, let's say, two weeks before you want to get going, or you just wrote the song. So you have to think about what kind of producer you want. Who do you want to produce this? Are you okay. producing it? What does a producer do? What does a producer you know, do? What, for, yeah, what, is it, what does it do so we can have an idea of what kind of person we might want to do that? Yeah, a producer is somebody that decides like artistically what's happening. Like The producer doesn't always have to write the song, but the producer decides what instruments are happening, what kind of rhythm section, what tones are they looking for, what type of sound are they going for. Producer kind of has become this term that means a lot more than it used to mean. <laughs> Anyone's like, hey, I'm a producer. Especially in electronic music. Especially in electronic music. Don't call music. them DJs, yeah. call them producers, okay? Just don't make that mistake. Yeah, it's. So, I'm talking more about the traditional producer, yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> than the modern producer, which is like anybody with a laptop and pro and uh, and Fruity Loops, whatever, Fruity they're, Loops. whatever they're using <laughs> these days. What are kids using these days? <laughs> Fruity Loops. I remember Fruity Loops. People make legit stuff with Fruity Loops. Yeah, that's that's how that's what people are using now. <laughs> I remember I used Fruity Loops in like 2004. Just oh my god, ridiculous! Just they had computers like back then. Stuff. That was like 13 years ago. Yeah, it was. It was when they were still. Uh, anyway, it's not important. Let's stick to topic. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. No, tell us the anecdote, man. It's good. It was. Uh, I forgot which one came first. It's the iBook, right before the MacBook. There's the iBook. Maybe. So it was when it was whatever was before the more the before the before the MacBook. Before the MacBook. That's what I was using, and it was like uh, when Fire basically when like Fire PowerBook was it a PowerBook? No, it was the lesser one. Mm. There was the PowerBook, and then the PowerBook became MacBook Pro. Right. I think so. It was an iBook. I think. Mm-hmm. Either way, it was when FireWire was still a thing. Uh, I still have FireWire on one, I know of, on one of my computers. I think audio. I think <laughs> audio professionals are some of the only people that still use FireWire. That's true. My new computer doesn't have enough FireWire. That might not be true. I just sometimes, you know, I'll say things and I think it is sound true. like I think. Well, I, I think maybe I th- video people also. I know for a no, fact. I, don't think so. I know a lot of audio people who so. still have FireWire hardware. Some of the stuff is difficult to work with though because. It's some of the, the software is outdated, and, and to to do things like a chain, uh, what's, what's the word? Daisy again? chain. Yeah, to like sync um, preamps, mm. like da- yeah, to daisy chain them and get more inputs. Like if you have two eight channel uh, preamps, maybe you might be thinking about ADAT and SPDIF or something. Yeah, maybe stuff like that. But so we, were, we were talking about going into the studio and choosing a producer and having so having a song and wanting basically, to record it. You have a song you want to record it. There's going to be a lot of factors that you're going to want to you're going to want to think about before you decide a where you're recording, b who's recording you, c who's in charge, who's the producer, right? Who's who's making the the the, the end of the day calls? It might be you. It might be the band because the band often is the producer these days. Uh, and uh, what else? What kind of sound you're going for? Like what your what your audience wants to hear? So there's so many things. So can we jump into some of those, go like a little deeper below the surface on a few of those? Yeah, totally. Um, one of them that I like that you were talking about was, I, I always I always like talking a little bit about the people-to-people dynamics within music because it's such an important part of it. So we're talking about the producer and we're talking about, you mentioned who's going to be in charge sort of. Yeah. And I want to talk about that concept for a second going into the studio. Um, I'm not sure if I have a final say or an opinion on that particular topic, but I do think there it is advantageous if there is some sort of authority, and it, maybe it's one person or two people who have like whatever something. But but um, you know, whatever it is, at the end of the day, it's doing something to create a dynamic in the studio or the recording process that can minimize drama and arguments. Yeah. And That's it's, basically. Yeah. So I think it's, and serve the music the best. Sometimes it's best if there is an outside producer because then they can make the calls with uh, with less of a you know fear of being rejected by the other bandmates. Let's say, especially mm-hmm. for bands, band dynamics are a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah, but but they play into this, which is also why I, yeah. I, I I totally whenever there's an outside producer. I remember I was recording once and and there was a producer there. It was totally outside of. Um, 
the particular track I was on. He was part of the compilation, but not on that particular track. And it was just helpful. He had like this input on a, a guitar solo I was doing and just said like, maybe try hitting these notes or whatever. Hit this, you know, thirds harmony over this thing instead of trying to do some crazy thing you're doing. And it was just like, oh yeah, that actually sounds beautiful. And I wouldn't have thought of that. And neither would the guy who actually wrote the track. And this guy just happened to be there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so he the, wasn't the producer even, but it was this outside objective mm-hmm. perspective on what could possibly serve the music better. Right. Um, I really enjoy that. I like when that's there. Sometimes it's the engineer can serve as producer sometimes. Yeah, totally. Every now and then. Uh, these days, more more often than not, like because because money isn't exactly flowing in the music industry the way it used to be, there's a lot of, a lot of things happening that one person is wearing many, many, many hats. So... Uh, just like the producer has proliferated into being anything, like anybody and everybody is a producer. Mm-hmm. The engineer could be the producer and recording and making the calls, or the band can also be the producer and the band, and that's crazy. Also, mm-hmm. it, didn't, it never used to be like that. You know, the Beatles right. had George, Har- you know, George Martin, like just as an example. It, it, until recently, it was always an outside producer, basically. Yeah. So when it's within the band, have you worked with like bands where it's the band that's the producer or one person or two people in the band? How does that work as a, uh, are there pros and cons to that as opposed to having maybe an outside producer? Yeah. I, I, I could tell you as an engineer, I th- I think the best is to have an outside producer because uh, that means everybody kind of can focus on what they have to do and do it best. Right. There's enough to do in the studio as it is. Yeah. As a musician playing and I can songwriter. I can be the producer and the engineer, but then my my head isn't exact isn't totally on the on the on the either the engineering or the producing, right? So I'm not always thinking about what's best for the band to get the best take because I want to get a better sound. And I'm not always thinking about how to get the best sound because I want them to get a better take mm. or I want them to try to do something different. So there's a lot happening in my head when I'm engineering and producing simultaneously. And honestly, I just prefer it if I'm just the producer or the engineer. I, I, when someone else is an amazing producer and I could just focus on getting the good sounds, it's like my life is amazing. Right. And it's hard because you're good at both. Like, I've worked yeah, with you before. Yeah, I, I could and, do both. And, you know, you have very good, honest feedback about a take, but at the same then you, then you put on the nice hat a little bit. Like, you know, be like, Ben, did that suck? Come on, tell us. It's like, ah, you know, there's no harm in trying another take. <laughs> it's, like, it's like okay 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 save that one to make us feel good and then we'll, we'll do another one because yeah we could we could do it better you're right you're right yeah um and that's where that that's where that producer yeah came the, in on that particular session but in general uh-huh. like you have a lot of really good musical input and you're Thanks, um, man. you have a lot of good ideas so yeah and when you wear that hat it's it's helpful it's yeah. it's it has it's very valuable and and the engineering side as well but yeah so i appreciate that man uh, so it's, I think it's, I'm able to do it. And I think most engineers are able to do it to some extent, but I think if you've ever been on a session where there's a separate producer, a separate engineer, a separate artist, I think that's more ideal because I think everybody can kind of just hone in on their thing and do it good and do it right. And like producer says this, that was the take, that's the take. And the engineer doesn't need to think about, was that the take really? He can focus and say like, okay, I got the sounds the way it was supposed to be and not think like, oh, is this the take? But also is the sound good? There's a lot. So bottom line is, I think it's better to have more people in, in, involved. But then again, you have to take uh, you have to take budget into account because mm, nobody's buying records. So the budget, the budget is, is tight. <laughs> Nothing to be done about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. And definitely don't ask a guitarist, which was the best take. Yeah. We'll just be like, none of them, none of them are good. They're all trash. Even the one that went to print. I can't believe you took that take. That yeah. was the worst solo ever, uh. <laughs> but whatever. I'll go with it. It's always the take with the best vocal on it. That's always yeah. how it works. The best guitar solo is always the one that gets deleted accidentally. It's like, Oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I do that? I should press save. My yeah, computer right. just crashed. <laughs> oh, it happens. God. That's the biggest it nightmare happens. when I forget to press save. Yeah. Oh man. It happens oh, all man. the time. And it's always the best take. Yeah. No matter what happens. That it's was like, it. No. <laughs> that moment when we should make memes for that. That's a, that's a, that could be a good meme. That could be a good meme, yeah. Anyway, so the producer is is the first person. So who, all right, so we got producer. So that's the person that you're going to be dealing with. So if it's an outside person, person, not someone within the band, then you need to think about somebody who gets your vibe, right? So maybe it's a producer that has done records you really like, you know. 
may, you know, it's 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 hard to it's hard to say that because sometimes the records you really like are not somebody that you can actually hire. So you have right, to access. you have to be creative, right? So someone who someone who's accessible, someone who's accessible, which which also you can like you can dream and think beyond what you think might be attainable. But there's a, there's a, there's an there's a an aspect of access. Someone who's accessible, right? I think gets your vibe is is one of the most important ones because that ties I, into everything. It ties into the music. It ties into the relationship side of things. That when you talk about vibe, that also in my mind means that they're going to know how to communicate with you, how to communicate what they need to tell you. Um, about whether to take another take or whether that was the take or when to take a break or when to, you know, maybe cut out a whole section of a song that like you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're doing the recording and something just isn't clicking in the recording and you just don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden the producer goes, oh, that like you have a bridge, you know, it's not working. Let's change the bridge or something. And you're just like, what? And then he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, try this. And you, and like, but as a songwriter, sometimes you won't think to just totally redo the bridge. So, but it's sensitive, so they'll know how to communicate things like that. That's just one one uh, example of that. But I think vibe. Yeah, I'm trying to define vibe, but I think it encompasses a lot of things. I think I think vibe is the main thing you're looking for in a producer. But again, in in today's environment, it's pr- it, it might just end up being the the studio that you most relate to, and like. Oftentimes, that studio will have the engineer that's also producing for you, and then that'll just be wrapped up in one, even though it's not ideal. Right. So that, so it might it might come down to the studio also might determine who the producer is, and mm-hmm. if it's someone in the band, it's probably somebody who has the most creative vision. Yeah, that that's I think that's always certain. The, uh, and there's projects always, I've been in. There's always going to be somebody. Yeah, or two people. There's someone. There's there's usually one person. Uh, very rarely, you know, like the Beatles had two, but like. It's 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 more common that there's one really creative power lifter, and uh, hopefully everyone can put ego aside and bow to that person's vision because um, it usually ends up serving the music better. Yeah, you know, fifteen percent of the time someone else will have a good idea. But like, yeah, I mean everyone's gonna have an ego at some point, but uh, <laughs> best to kind of try to check that at the at the door for sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing I just want to make a small note is that even if you can access a producer who has a vast network, um, it's not necessarily a straight go with that. It's like, oh, well, they have the network and they can press like that's an advantage, but it also has to be weighed against everything else. Like the even getting a producer that's well connected, if they don't really get what you're trying to do, it could be a short term. It could seem like something that's a short term game, but a long term loss. Like you just have to weigh everything in context and like vibe, I think is more important than, um, someone who's very well connected with, you know, I'm just, that's my like a label sense. or something. Yeah. Or just, you know, yeah. Someone who could, you know, you go with this producer cause they could get it in the hands of whoever it's like that it would be, I can't say I would turn that down, but you just, you still have to say like, well, that might, ban- that might person, bankrupt you. you is know? this person going to going to just take, my whole idea apart um, and try to bank off of this or something like, you know, like you just have to take everything into consideration, not in the music business in general, like really weigh, try to think about the marathon more than the race. And I think producer comes down to that too, because people sometimes get these rare opportunities to work with whoever. Um, so in general, when you're meeting people or you could play with that person or this and that, it's like yeah. always, most of the time you probably take it, but always consider what value it'll actually serve you five years down the line. That's all. So same I like, thing with the I producer. Like that. I like that piece. Also, like you have to trust yourself. You know, like if the producer that you hired, even though he's got a great reputation, is changing your music and it no longer feels like your songs and your art, then that might be an indicator that this is not the guy to work with. Right. Like I, I, I hope Dave Matthews felt that when they did Every Day. <laughs> I don't think they did. I think they really like like that album. <laughs> but whatever. We'll not talk about that. We'll do a whole episode on Every Day and why it's. The worst album? Yeah, pretty much. I, I can safely say. Um, I haven't heard most of the new stuff, but definitely up until that point, that was like, like I get, you know, okay, you've done the acoustic thing for like a, a decade. Okay, maybe try something new. But like, and I tried so hard to like it and I went to like tons of shows when they put that out. And I still, I just like, to this day, I can't, I can't connect to the songs. Mm. I've given it a good go. Either way. So good they job. were they they switched producers from Steve Lillywhite to some other guy who worked with like Aerosmith and all that stuff and they're like oh we got the guy from Aerosmith and this and it's gonna have such a vision but it just it just didn't sound good 
Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously that was my subjective opinion, but, um, I've conversed with enough people who yeah. seem to agree with that. Yeah. Totally. That's an example. Different of, and different yeah. producers do different things. Like I, I, me personally, when I'm working with a band, I try to let them guide me, and not guide them. Mm. And I know people that try to guide the band and and kind of like, you know, it's my way. This is how we do it. And so I'm not into that as much because I'd rather have a band do something that's different, that feels fresh, that feels like them. That's mm. personally what I do. But maybe my my approach is less radio friendly. Mm. So Fresh some, some thoughts to think about. Yeah. Okay, other, so producer. Producer, the studio itself, where are you going to go? Are you going to record it in your house by yourself? Ooh. Are you going to go to a local recording studio? Are you going to go to a big studio? Are you going to go to a small studio? There like, are a lot of options. There's right? a lot of options. It's a lot to consider. Yeah. If you go to a big studio, you might get a bigger sound and you might, you might, might sound better, but it might run you out of cash really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then your project will only go so far. You have to find the right balance for you. And also like the sound of the place. Like if you're recording in a bedroom, it might sound like crap. And even if the vibe is good, it might be unlistenable. You can't, you know, there, there, there's a lot of indie records could sound, yeah, like like total crap. So you, you want to find the right balance for you, basically. I guess you need an idea of what's what's important to you. When you're going in, like just to give a quick example, what might you gain out of getting that super nice studio that has studio A, B, and C with wood paneling and ISO booths versus, um, you know, maybe just doing something in your bedroom, but you have a decent setup. You got some dynamic mics, you know, you have a $200 little audio MIDI input, whatever it is. And like, um, but, but, and, and some engineering chops that you could maybe put them together. Like what, what might be the, uh, considerations? Obviously, I would say, I don't know, I guess budget has to be in there. Cause if budget wasn't an issue, then obviously we just, you just go to, the, go to the big, big, nice place. For sure. No, but, uh, and sorry to cut, cut you off, even though I just asked you a question, I want you to answer. And this is the caffeine, uh, kicking in a little bit is, um, I personally have preferred over the years, recording in um smaller spaces mm-hmm. not like not really tight but like definitely i i do not favor the big open rooms there's a disconnect when like you're already disconnected because you're in headphones and sometimes you're not even live tracking you're playing isolated from all the other musicians like they've already laid their tracks and you're sitting there alone and you're like it's already a very isolating experience um, totally. And the the act of making music a lot is is connecting with the musicians and the totally. vibrations that are happening. So I personally have found in those big rooms, which I know a lot of people enjoy, um, I found just a, a big disconnect. The music to me, I've never gotten it to sound connected. Um, it's also just you know the groups I've played in and the songs I've laid down. Um, but I, I've always fared better in a not necessarily like a bedroom, but in more intimate a nicer setting. studio, but but a more intimate studio where um, even though it's cramped and it can be a pain in the butt sometimes to be in a little bit of a cramped space with the musicians you're recording with, but you know, getting you a little closer. You can still feel the yeah. vibe of one another. Yeah. Which is, vibe. And I, I always vibe like, a lot. I always like, um, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to talk about what no, I like. No, what do you I like? Want to talk you, about. I want to hear what you like. Um, but also, it's also a, um, it's a, it's a, uh, what's the word? It's like a consequence of the music that uh, most of the music I was laying down for the past few years uh, necessitated live tracking most of the time to capture. It was supposed to have like a live performance feel. Yeah, to, enter, um, to get the so energy. Where, yes, that's where it came from. But all the more so, even if you're just tracking the smaller space also, just have, like why would I want to be a guitar player sitting in a giant room alone? You know, I like the little rooms. I like having my amp in another room, put on the headphones. But like the smaller room, it just helps sort of contain my mind a little bit and like cool. there's less to be distracted by and you can I could just focus on the music and um I don't know so what were we talking we're talking about studios to consider that's why I was sort of yeah there's so like, we asked about studios and I weighed in but now from the actual yeah. professional in the field like what are some of the things that you consider when you're looking online or you're looking at different studios and it's like oh there's this one that one that one it really depends like it you know what's what what are the what are the instruments you know like is it going to be mostly electronic then you should probably go to a smaller studio you shouldn't, you know, waste money on that space. If you're going to be tracking real drums, real instruments, maybe like a like a horn section or a violin section or you know strings, like 
then you might want to be using a better a better space because believe me, a badly recorded violin is literally the worst thing in the world. Like you want to have a room that can breathe and can actually deal with the violin if you're going to record that. So there, right. and, and drums, forget about it, you know? I mean, violin's are way worse when it's poorly recorded. Right, so than maybe drums. you need to consider like, so you need to consider yeah. instrumentation. Instrumentation, right, exactly. It all goes, everything, every, everything needs to be considered, right? Like, you know, but maybe if you're dealing with an outside producer, he already would like say, you know what, let's book this room for this drum session and that's it. And I'll take the tracks back to my little place and then we can work on the vocals. Mm. So there's there could be a balance. There, There's a lot of different things you can do and there's a lot of options these days. So you can mix and match studios. You, you can, can even also, like, if you have a string totally. section, you can get that big room at the nice studio A and get the top producer to like do the room nice and you get the strings captured and then go back to like a nice little like studio and lay down some yeah. vocals. I think I think th- this day and age, almost anybody who's listening to this po- to this podcast is probably not like you know John Mayer and has anything he ha- he wants you know access to available to him. <laughs> All those big studios are closing down. If you haven't seen the documentary Sound City, I highly recommend you just go and watch it. I'm Dave Grohl made that. an incredible film, and it's sad, but it's also like I'm just being real with you guys, like. Like, it's so sad for me because I'm a man of classic records. Like, I love the classic stuff. Like, you see Tom Petty there. You see, like, I don't even remember. <laughs> Who's that? hard. Pearl Jam. I don't think Pearl Jam was in that. Nirvana, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't watch it, but I'm, def- I'm definitely going to watch it's it been now. A, it's, been a, it's been a couple of years, but it's an amazing, amazing documentary. And, like, yeah, Neil Young was at the studio. And, th- and it just closed. It was, like, in off the highway in, in L.A. And, like, bam it's gone. So you're just going to see more and more small studios and less and less big studios. And you know, the way it is here, at least in Israel is like, there's like a few really big studios that are able to stay in business because everyone goes, goes to those places. And there's a lot, a lot of small studios and there's not a lot in the middle because people in the middle can't really strike a balance, you know, mm-hmm. cause they can't like the space is not, people are just not booking enough time. So, anyways, but that's 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 a right. rant. That's, that's a, not help. That's that's not as helpful. But the, no, but the point important. is it's that important. there there is a you can strike your own balance between those two types of studios. You don't necessarily need to go into an in between studio. You could you can work out of a smaller studio and use the bigger studio for for stuff like strings and drums and maybe just right. doing the basic. You could do like the basic tracking there live, and then afterwards you overdub all the vocals and the lead guitars or whatever production ideas you have afterwards in a smaller space. That, that's totally a viable option and maybe even recommended. So I want to ask you a question in, resp- in response to that. Um, I th- also, anecdotally, I like when there's one... We're talking about specific applications where you might need a bigger room or you might need a different recording setting, but as a general rule of thumb... I've always liked having like one central studio for a project, whether it's an album or EP or just a few tracks, like going into that same space either day after day or three times a week for it. And like, you know, the, you know, the place, you know, where the bathroom is, you know, where the coffee is. You like, you sort of, if you start to feel like home, cause you're there for like eight to 12 hours a day. So the, I think there is something to having one totally primary studio if not just that one but then obviously for different applications if necessary having other places i i agree i agree i agree okay. also i mean if budget is not a consideration book in a freaking amazing studio that has a few re- yes. rooms and like and do it you know what i mean but you know if you don't have that cash then you're going to have to make a hybrid situation also there's so much stuff you could do on the computer these days you can you can make electronic drums that sound real in mm-hmm. in any bedroom studio. Okay. So so for some people that are doing more of that kind of kind of stuff and less real drums, that's also a very viable option these days. Cool. So we got producer we spoke about we spoke about um studio. Are we done with studio or is I think we're studio? done with studio. Okay. So we so, need a producer, you need to figure out what studio you're going to. So but before I get into um at the end of this I think we'll talk about mixing and mastering. Mm-hmm. But like we'll we'll touch upon that stuff because those are like big big topics in and of themselves. But uh, it's something that I wanted to just mention is like tips, like before you go in, what you ha- what you personally need to be ready for. And that's, the first thing is, and people forget about this and don't think about this, this is a big tip. Just be ready. Practice with your band. Have Practice by yourself. Know everything down pat. Practice your vocals, your guitar licks, everything. The more you spend, the more time you spend before the studio and quote-unquote pre-production, 
the faster the studio will be, the more money you'll save, the better your tracks will sound, period. Yeah, highly recommended to be able to actually almost literally play it in your sleep. Yeah. Like, whereas if you're tired and hungry in the studio, which will happen, you'll still be able to perform and knock out a few takes. Totally. I, I know that there's also a magical thing happens. Sometimes you go into the studio, different things happen. There's a vibe. All of a sudden you're experimenting and, and things happen. That's good, but you still need to be ready for the song. And if you're not ready for the song, you're just going to waste, you're going to be twiddling your thumbs, wasting hours, wasting money, going down the drain. Yeah. I, I, would, I would even say like get your amp, like write down your amp settings. Yeah. Things like that. Totally. Like, like things that you don't think about. Think about what your tone knob is going to be for that sound. Yeah. Like all the little things, make notes, make notes of those things so that when you get in, you drop your amp. The engineer drops a mic on it, whatever it is. Everyone gets set up and it's not like, hmm, that's, hmm, I don't like the sound of the guitar so much. It's like, no, you already know a re like within a 10% give or take a, a margin of error where you like your tone for each track and you have it written down in a notebook, what your pedal settings are, everything. I'm talking, yeah, yeah. a guitar player, obviously, but like the minor details, get everything yeah. really down. Also, if you know that like your guitar usually sounds one way and it's not coming through the cans, the way you thought it was, the, the, the way you thought it would be, then you should tell the engineer, hey, this doesn't sound like it's supposed to. Everything's on the same settings as always. Maybe you got to move the mic a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's you know? right. Yeah. Mic, mic placements a lot. But yeah. yeah, I, yeah, definitely knowing that's knowing your material cold before you go in, which is the ideal. Um, yeah. That's the ideal situation. Uh, and it's so, possible and it's possible to do discipline yeah. is the word. So that's, this is like the biggest tip of the day is that it will save you hours and money. I had clients the other week and they're like, man, I wish we had practiced more. We would have saved a lot of time. I was like, yep, this is the big tip. Yeah, it's painful <laughs> to watch. Come in ready. You're, you're, you, you just watch people throw away time and money. Totally. Like it's, and it's pain. Like I've seen it. It's pain. It pains me. It's like, no, you could have easily just practiced. More. And that's where an outside producer also could come in and be like, okay, guys, you're not ready for this. Let's cancel this session. Go back, rehearse, you know, take a break. And we'll, we'll, we'll meet back on another day when you're ready to do this, mm -hmm. this song. Yeah. Cut your losses. Yeah. A produce and outside producers are really good at that stage. They know when it's time to call it quits. And that's super helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a pretty big cool. that's a pretty big tip. So coming coming ready to go. Yeah, a smaller tip, but also very important is make sure your your gear is working right. Like your guitar should be intonated. You should you should get it set up. Maybe maybe definitely definitely definitely, definitely, definitely fresh set fresh set of strings if you're playing guitar. Or new heads if you're playing drums. Make sure your voice is in good shape. If you you know do vocal warm ups. Make sure you, make sure you're not there's no hoarseness. You're ready to roll like. These are these are things that will help you enormously in the studio and will save you a buttload of time. Yeah, and on the guitar topic, I would definitely, definitely uh, not undermine the value of getting a setup before going into the studio. It'll make sure your intonation is on. Like you'll be playing high up while you're recording. In, in a live setting, sometimes maybe you overlook it. Nah, it was live, whatever it is. When you're in the studio, you do not want your intonation off. You want the guitar to perform as needed, like butter and not like, be like butter. Yeah. And not, you just definitely, if you have a, an instrument that needs a setup, whatever instrument it is, get it set up before you go. I, I actually learned this one the hard way, maybe 10 years ago or something. I was like doing, I was, they called me into, I was like a session bass player basically for this, uh, for this album. And like, I came up with this really cool lick on the bass where I was basically playing chords on the higher register of, of the bass just like playing bass chords for this for this part of the song and the strings were just out of tune once I got up there and like that was it they didn't make it didn't make it to the thing because of that um, the guy tried to auto-tune it with Melodyne and couldn't make it work this oh, was before Melodyning string instruments poly oh. <laughs> no I've, I've done that it just always sounds a little bit uh, odd I always hear auto-tune I can always hear auto-tune on instruments is, is is a whole new league yeah but uh, so yeah, so I was pretty embarrassed. And it's it's a, yeah. how do you say chaval in English? Like a it's, shame. It's, it's a, a shame yeah. because what a shame. Ben's bass chords are magical. They're like little <laughs> pixie dust on top of whatever music thing I'm, is going on. I'm sure it was it was leagues leagues behind because <laughs> it was a long time ago. But whatever, it was what it was. And I learned the lesson. Like, make sure your instrument is in good shape back then already. So that's that's another pretty big tip. And just like basic stuff, like things that you might not be thinking about, like make sure you have a tuner. 
I mean, hopefully the studio go to has a tuner, but they also might not have a tuner. So bring a tuner. Bring the lyrics. Don't forget your lyrics. Bring a tuner sandwich. Yeah, print them out at home. Your your studio you're going to might have a printer, but they also might not have a printer. So that's 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 basically my my biggest tips. So I wanted to actually ask Yakir some questions. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Because Yakir has done a bunch of recording sessions as a musician. I've done. I've also done that, but usually I'm the guy engineering. So for me, my experience is a little bit different. And uh, you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, man. You ready? Yeah, I'm. Tr- I'm. I'm, I'm gonna hit you. I'm. A, I'm gonna hit you with some questions. Hit me hard, man. Here's the big question. Hit me on the what? What is the most surprisingly positive experience you've ever had in a recording studio? Oh, that's right. I was. I was supposed to prepare an answer for this, but I didn't. Um, You're gonna so have to wing it. I'm gonna have to wing it. I've. I've had a lot actually because I've had. The pleasure of working with many good engineers um, uh, and and a few good producers as well. Um, a very positive one was, oh, what's his name? I think maybe Wright, Stephen Wright, maybe. Who's that? Which is also the name of a comedian. Someone we were recording with in Rightway Studios down in Baltimore, and I forgot what was happening. You know, I have a good ear. It's not perfect. Um, and this just drove that point home because he's the engineer and he's also obviously has production experience and we were playing and we finished a take and we're about to take a break and he comes over and he just says, your guitar's out of tune. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I'm telling you, it's out of tune. I said, okay, like, I, you know, I trust you. I have a very open mind when it comes to this stuff. I said, sure, yeah, okay. Like, I mean, you're hearing it's out of tune. Okay, great. So then, um, so give me your guitar. It's like, okay. We're taking a break anyway. I give him the guitar. We go into the control room and uh, we get some, we get something to drink. We all go in there and he's fiddling with my guitar and he puts it up to his, this like, you know, like super duper tuner, like one of the most precise, you know, it's, it's a rack tuner. That's the SDT, like, yeah, super duper tuner. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it showed, it was like, it was, li- it was like a fraction like a hairline fracture sort of like smidgen off. It was so like, it was almost inaudible, but his ear was so attuned wow. that, that he was able to hear it. And then he basically told me like, yeah, you need like a little setup. Cause you hear like, you're getting your intonations off. You're up here, you're getting this, down here, you're getting this or whatever. And, you know, and uh, encourage me to maybe change a string or two or whatever. And he ended up like, whatever it was getting my guitar a little more aligned than it should have been, but it was almost inaudible. But obviously he knows that once it's on tape, like it's there and maybe after listening to it a hundred times, all of a sudden someone might realize like, Oh, that's, or, or people who don't have a great ear, maybe, maybe will hear it and, and subconsciously they'll just be something off, but they don't know what it is. And he had the ear to just say, um, this is off. And it's amazing. That, that That's just the most recent story. I have a lot of really good that's awesome. stories. Um, but that's, um, that's the most recent one I can think about. Awesome. And on the inverse, what's the most surprisingly negative experience you've ever had in a studio? Oh, gosh. Yeah, without naming anything, it was... Uh, I think there's. it just came down to a vibe thing. There was just an engineer who thought he knew uh, everything. And maybe he did, but that's not how you want to come off to musicians. You're playing like, uh, you know, I like my guitar tone a certain way. And he kept saying, it's muddy. It's not going to sound good. It's muddy. I have a very muddy tone. I like it to sound like like jazz guitars sound a little bit, but like muddier. Like it's just, I don't know why. I have a muddy tone. It's just, it works with the way I play, but most engineers hate me because, you know, it's their reputation on the line, obviously. I understand it. And they're going to be like, well, I don't record muddy sounding guitars. I say, okay, well, that you know, like in live, in live applications all the time, I, I owe engineers are like, you got, you need more high end. And I'm like, no, you just need to make this fit into the mix, which yeah. obviously I want to hear the, I want to hear the, the sound man's point of view on that. I totally, I get it. But so the negative side of that is that there's ways to communicate that. And we could have had a dialogue about it, but this was definitely a very forceful opinion mm-hmm. that was laid on me. And it was like, you know, and I was trying to get a good take also at one point, and it wasn't like, uh, it, there wasn't a supportive tone to the voice that said like, that was a really good take. I'm telling you, that was a really good take. I could tell that the engineer was tired and wanted to leave and finish the session. He's like, he's like, no, don't, you don't need another take. That one was fine. It was fine. What are you, you're really going to do another take? You really want to do another take? Like that. 
Yeah, and, and like, that just kills it. You're like, I was done. like, yes, I'm like, done. I'm paying you for the time. Like, we Man. came in here and like my gear is set up to come back and do this tomorrow and start from here instead of just we're here. Let's just finish it. And it wasn't yeah. one of the situations where we were exhausting it. Like, I was inspired. And I wanted to keep going and I, I thought I could do a better take and I, I was sure I could do a better take, you know, cause there are those times when you're exhausted and it's like, you know, maybe we should just wrap it up, continue tomorrow. This was not that case. Yeah. It was just a condescending, yeah. not positive vibe. Um, and I really did not enjoy that. And I have not worked with that person since. Good. I totally hear that. I think like, trying to put my thoughts to words here <laughs> yeah I, I i i mean this the audio engineer the producer they need to be in line with the artists right the, remember that the artist is paying them and they probably will never recoup the money because their album probably won't sell because no albums ever sell and that's even besides the point the artist is the visionary they have the song they're the ones that are coming in and paying them good money the engineer should be working with them. The producer should be working with them and not for themselves. You got to go with the creative flow of the artists, you mm -hmm. know? So, so I want to ask you a question on that also. So then do you, do you then have to be, do you have to be selective? I know there's different stages in an engineer's career. Obviously at first you have to say yes to almost everything, but like there's probably a point at which you are selective about the artists that you work with, right? Because you don't, cause you'll have, I guess I'm asking you when that point is or like, or, or if there is, there's a point where you have the luxury of deciding who to work with, right? And and hopefully it'll be people that you can then align I hope, with. I hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, that happens, right? That's something that, like... I, I mean, I, there, I'm sure there are people where that it does happen too. That's, that's the kind of the goal, right? Right. I guess yeah. at some point you get to be a certain stature where um, like the right... Like it just all becomes right almost most of the time because the right yeah. people hear about you and the word mm -hmm. of mouth and they connect you. Um, it's like when a good wedding band gets like known on the scene, then it's like, usually people say, Oh, if you like that, go with these guys. If you like that, go with these guys. And like the connection usually works yeah. out well. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, usually you'll go to a producer who you, you think is going to work with you, you know, who's going to like working with your style of music. But, right. uh, sometimes you're just going to the, the local guy that you heard about and, uh, and the connection isn't as good. We're talking about the engineer having to vibe with the with the artist. Yeah. Um, but then as an engineer, obviously you're gonna have people coming through the door that you're not necessarily gonna vibe with at some point because yeah. that's like it's your revenue stream for life as well. So what do you I guess what do you do in those situations where you're working with um someone? Um just it just happens. It happens like it just happens. What's the best way to deal with that situation as a, I guess as an artist, because that's who this is for. If yeah. something's not working with the engineer, um, or there's a vibe thing, like maybe it's not always just quit or just pick up and go find somewhere else. What do you like? What what would be some of the good ways that an ar artist might be able to help dissipate negative vibes? Mm -hmm. Good question. I mean, I think frank conversations is a good way to start, not in a harsh way, but like in an honest way, and say, like, "Listen, man, like I'm trying to get this take. Like I really think this is the direction we should go." Can you please just like work with me for a little bit? Like you could say something like that, right, you know, like, try to get the person's attention. Maybe, maybe call in another bandmate to help you out. Maybe talk to the producer, say like, listen, this isn't working so much. Can you have a conversation with the engineer? Like I need some more positivity. I need him to work with what I got. That's actually, no, that's actually, you touched on something. That's a really good point. I've, I've done that. Had like a bandmate say like, I can tell that like, you know, almost called timeout, timeout, and then called, had an intimate conversation outside with the bandmate and said, I really got this take. Engineer's really not vibing, but like, I need your help. Like, can you sit in the control room next to him so that when I'm looking through the glass, I see you also. And like, mm. tell him, you know, just sort of like nudge him and say things like, like, oh yeah, no, no he's getting now. I could, tell, I could tell he's within like three or four takes. Like, don't worry. Um, and then also going back to your point of frank conversations, I think that's also a really good thing to do and just say something. I think defining things can help also. Like if you say like, like I'm, I, th I think I can nail like four more, four more takes. Let's, let's put four maximum. Um, it should be no more than like 20 minutes, you know, or maybe there's an, maybe there's an agreement where you could say like, okay, listen, like I know we agreed to 11, like 
we'll pay you, you know, a time, a time plus 20% if you're willing to stay to 1130, just because I'm really feeling it. Like there's also or can bu- you just, business can, agreement. I'm, you I'm can, so close. Can you just give me five to 10 more minutes? Yeah. You know, and then sometimes they'll say no. Right. You know, like um, who knows what's going on in their lives that they just have to leave, you know? Right. So if that's, if, if you're going overtime, if you're not going overtime, then. <laughs> right, right. That, I just, I just that's jumped another, into the another, overtime that's thing. That's another story. I jumped into that's the okay. overtime thing because it, because it happens. Yeah. Because I know I've, I've been time, there like. Um, time is, warps when you're in the studio. That's totally. the thing. Like when, when I'm engineering, I can't even look at my cell phone. I don't even know how many messages I got in like, in like the span of like, what? That time is over. I have to go. What? Uh, Depending like, what room just, you're in, you could also like go in when it's daylight and come out when it's nighttime. You've and no, it's like a yeah. time warp and like the only indicator the time has passed is that you're hungrier. Yeah. Like like that happens when you're in a deep, deep recording session. Oh, that's a that's another important thing. Food. Eat food, yeah. eat healthy, take breaks. Yeah. Tip number five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten is take breaks and eat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna you wanna space out your ears and your brain and, and your and make sure your your stomach is is full on healthy food, ideally, and if not, just food. <laughs> yeah, but actually, and a tip on the food, like I'm not just saying this because I like healthy stuff, like actually because I think it helps the recording, really try to stay away from like only junk food. Junk food is inevitable in the studio, but try to like also fit in some micronutrient-dense foods like <laughs> vegetables and a salad or something. Like you're yeah. going to eat the chips. It's fine. Do it. But like don't only eat crap in the studio because it, it it just you'll feel sludgy and it can come out on the recording sometimes. Like I've done recordings where just everyone just ate Doritos oily, horrible things and like the rec- the the take sounds sludgy. Just everyone's a little sludgier. The, t- the, the sound is just a little bit like uh, Utz, uh, yeah. like cheese curl or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a little bit of that cheesy curledness to it. Yeah, and you don't even want to see what, you know, like people are grabbing their instruments with greasy fingers. Oh, it's just no. gross, yeah. Oh, no. 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 We don't record with those people. <laughs> those ingrates. <laughs> who touch, touch instruments with pizza hands. Who are these people? Yeah, dude. <laughs> who breeds these people? <laughs> <laughs> it's true though whenever I see it it's like cause uh, there's like people who I would expect to like take really good care of their gear and then like I'm just shocked when I see them d- just like oil dripping and just grab the instrument it's so gross oh, not that it's, it's it's gross in the way of just like you can't do that to an instrument it's sacrilegious and like think you're like I don't know I just there's a special place for people like that, for musicians like that. <laughs> when I, when if I, you're listening to this and you're one of those people, I'm I'm really sorry. Um, I remember, I remember, I was, I was in, <laughs> and like you're bringing back like memories from like that I haven't even thought about. It, like in high school, like this is my, maybe 13, 14 years ago. I was like, I don't know, the guy like, like like a father of one of my friends like picked up my bass and he's like, it's like, oh, your neck is filthy. What you're like not washing your hands after you eat before you play? It's like, yeah, you could feel it. And it's like, I was like, oh god. I can't believe it, Ben. Yeah. I can't believe you're one of those people. I was one of those people. But my, my, my neck is particularly, gets particularly tarnished by oily food because I have like a, I don't have like a gloss over it. It's like a, it's basically like a wooden neck. So uh-huh. like you really feel it like when you, yeah. you can feel like every individual like mini piece of dirt on the neck and it like oh, really, it really is annoying. I also have like quasi OCD tendencies. I've gotten much better over the years. I've gone from like perfectionist to like, not as perfectionist. It's made my life a trillion times better. That's just another life tip. Like, don't be perfectionist. You're yeah. just going to be unhappy all the time. Um, is that but, is that also a tip for the studio? <laughs> um, actually, it could be. Like, it, I think it could be in some ways. I've actually, as 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 an artist, really learned to be okay with a really good take. That's not perfect for mm-hmm. and like particularly particularly with guitar solos. Yeah. Like there's never going to be a perfect guitar solo. I don't think it there is, but there can be the perfect guitar solo for the moment. And like there's some that I've played and recorded and they're tracked where like you know the 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 pick didn't hit the string in the exact right way and 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 like maybe I accidentally mute plucked the string underneath or something, but like the performance and the energy was so good that like I left in, you know, several 
little mistakes that probably only I'm going to hear. Maybe someone with a super attuned ear. Yeah. But it just it was the performance was captured and it was fine. Um, but if I was, but the perfectionist part of my brain goes like, no, there's I I'll, I'm just going to hear that little click that shouldn't be there for the rest of my life and it's going to kill me. Yeah. But it doesn't kill you. And, yeah. and then you forget about it. And you forget about it. And then after a while, it becomes part of the song. Like yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of great uh, songs that have mistakes that became a crucial part of the actual production. Like girls just want to have fun. Mm. Uh, one of the, my teachers from SAE was telling me uh, there's a synth solo in there. Like one of those 80s synth solos. And <laughs> the end of it is actually this mistake. Uh, but it's in there. It's just like, but 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 or whatever it is, that end part is apparently a mistake. Like just the synth wasn't supposed made to it in. do that. And they just left it in. They're like, whatever. Um, awesome. There's, there's always going to be stuff like that on good records. Yeah. By the way, when you're talking about like your muddy guitar tone and like engineers telling you it's wrong and stuff, like that's definitely like, I'll have thoughts like, oh, this, this doesn't really work. But like, I'm always trying to serve the client because I'm always trying. But that's also because I'm like, I'm a business also, right? So I just try to t- give the clients what they want, even if I don't necessarily agree with it sonically. I'm not at the place where... Right. Well, I'll, maybe a good way to mitigate that would be to have artists, like if an artist has a demo of something they've done before or even a live recording or something, mm. like you could say as an engineer, maybe, I'm asking you, um, do you have something that you can send me that would give me a good idea of your tonal ma- the tonal makeup of your project? And like that way you can also know like maybe, oh, I should use the 414 instead of the 87 or something on the cab because because of the way this person's tone is or what they're trying to capture. Is is that something that would be helpful or just maybe. superfluous? Maybe. It's hard to tell like guitar tones from a, from like a demo. Or, right. You never right. really know till you're behind the cool. so console. I'm going to so ask this question sort of like we're going to pretend that it's like a call-in show or like <laughs> we're taking questions online. I'm just going to read it. Um, it was my stream of thought from earlier. Oh. Oh, oh, I see. I said, okay, Google, my phone went crazy. And then it's doing it again because I said it. How do you, okay, Ben, <laughs> let me ask you a question. How do you balance your knowledge and experience as a producer slash engineer with the tonal and artistic desires of a client? We sort of already touched on this a little bit, but let's mm-hmm. see if this comes up with different uh, results. So for example, if a guitarist has a very muddy tone, I wonder who we're talking about here, um, but, that's it, but that's his jam. It's but, his jam. Right, but okay. but you're not into recording it like that, or it's not considered aligned with the best practice of sorts in terms of recording. How do you deal with that situation? Do you bow to the wants of the artist? Um, have you ever obliged with such a request and been embarrassed uh, that you did that because now you have your brand associated with the final product that maybe you don't want your name on so much because... It sounds muddy or just the quality doesn't end up being what you thought it could be. Um, And how do you find that balance between being a good service provider but also not sacrificing your reputation or dignity with your recordings? What do these conversations with artists usually look like? That's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. I I want to sum that up in like less words. So and I and I and I and I'm happy you asked it because I actually recently have a like had I have like an anecdote from recently of something that happened that I was like super not happy about. And, uh, basically it was, uh, some clients that recorded by me and, uh, it was a live recording. So it was a very unideal kind of sonically situation. And, uh, I basically wasn't nailing it on the mix because it, it, there was just too much going. I mean, I, there's no excuses, whatever. There's always excuses, but there's no excuses. I wasn't nailing it on the mix. And they said, you know what? Like, we don't want you to spend any more time on this. We're going to send this to somebody else to mix it. And they were thrilled with this other mix. And I listened to this mix and it was not a professional mix. Just to, like, just to be frank, you know, it like the way the low end was working was just like boomy, muddy, not, not there was no definition. Like the high end was distorting. It was just, like, everything about it. Like, and, and also there was a lot of harshness. It was whatever. And there was not, there was, I didn't think it was a professional mix and there was nothing to, I could do about it. Cause this is what they, they wanted. They wanted this mix. So I'm out of the picture at this point. So what do I do? So I called this person up and I said, listen, uh, I, I really don't think this sounds like a record that I would be 
happy to have put out. I'm like with all due respect and I'm, it's great that you like it, but I don't, I just don't want to have my name associated with it. So please just don't leave out my name. Wow. Uh, and I kind of, I, but I, I think I said it a little bit more discreetly than that. Like, right. maybe not. <laughs> but I mean, but that could serve you better in the long run. Yeah. I just didn't want my name associated with that mix. And uh, so they released it and they said thank you to me, but they didn't put my name or my link or anything, which is okay. They thanked me in the, in the link, but there's no link. So right. it's like when a high end painter gets hired to do the painting on an apartment when someone's moving out. They have to do the paint, like the just the quick paint before, and they're just yeah. like, "Don't tell anyone that we're the ones who did this because we're just using crap paint." And <laughs> please don't tell anyone that this was us. Yeah, it's a that's, yeah, that's a good uh, a good uh, maybe. I don't know, maybe yeah. So it's, it's sort of like you need like it's good because you get revenue, right? Yeah. But like it's like it could taint your brand. Yeah, the the this this recording was like I think tainted from the day of the recording itself. It was like not much I could have done about it after that, and like. I was just trying to save grace mm-hmm. and but still i i still try even though it was hard for me i made sure that the client had what they wanted so th- that's like the double takeaway the, the first takeaway is yes i told them listen i'm this is not a professional mix i really don't want my name associated with this like please don't leave me out of it but nevertheless like it's still you paid money you came and recorded this is what you want you can have it it's these are your wishes so like you know, please, you know, it's your choice to do, but please just leave my name off of it. So I'm like, I distance myself, but also allow the client to have what they want. Cause that's really in the, as a service provider, you have to give clients what they want. You can have ideas, you can have conversations, you could be subtle, but you, at the end of the day, you have to let them decide. Otherwise they're, they're never going to come back to you and, they're t- and they'll tell other people not to go to you. Mm-hmm. Client is always right. So the client was technically wrong, but they were tech, you know, or like, in my opinion, sonically wrong, but technically they were still right. Right. Cool. So that's my, that's my little anecdote uh, about your muddy guitar tone <laughs> for calling a spade a spade. I love your muddy guitar tone. Oh, thank you. I think it sounds fantastic and it has style and <laughs> I would try to make it fit in the mix by maybe raising the mid range. Maybe cutting out a little bit of the mud just to clear some space for the bass. Yeah, that's just that, what I. That's, would, that's what I would try to do. That's where the problem usually comes in is finding room for the bass. Yeah. So that that does that it does cause a few issues. Um, mids can help with that. I've actually been trying to push a little more mids and cut my bass a little bit more. I'm trying it out live. Um, I'm not as happy with the tone so much though, so I might L- roll it back and try it. But, L- but I'm trying out new Sonic. Uh, bassy live tone is not as bad as bassy studio tone because right. bassy live tone, you're not usually worried about uh, how much uh, headroom you have because you're not going to master it to perfection or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you kind of don't mind having that extra punch. Right. The other thing is live, you have like a different room every night. Yeah. So um, that's, that's going to play a lot into some of the stuff I'll download. It never, it never, uh, it never goes far from like a certain standard setting I have. But there are certain times when just treble usually stays the same, but mids and bass will play off each other depending on the room. And then I have my tune knob on the guitar, obviously, also, which I leave at about 75% or something like that, almost all 70 to 75, which adds to that muddiness. Lives well, dude, but it's your, it's, it's your thing. Do yeah, what you got no, that's do. my thing. Unapologetically, that's my thing. Like, are you upset I that do? I took it to this? Uh, <laughs> calling a spade a spade? Uh, no, no, I, I love my. I want to like curl up and cuddle with my muddy guitar tone, dude. That's like, I mean, that's the whole point of the tone is that it's so nice and chunky and warm and smooth at the same time. That like, it's almost like a cup of like a good cup of coffee. Mm. That's like what I guess I want my guitar to sound like in its pristine state. Is Just like jukebox like, Java, like, like, yeah, that. like a clean, like my clean tone should be reminiscent of the sentiment of a nice smooth good fresh cup of coffee that you can just curl up with mm. you know mm. and then it'll just bite you a little bit just a little bit of bite yeah mm. <laughs> that sounds great yeah uh anyway so before we get into like too much of a tone discussion let's yeah like let's let's get back to this let's bring it back in so um do you have anything else to add on the going into the studio in terms of tips i, th- I think those are my biggest tips i think that if I could just like, you know, highlight it now, like yeah. just really quickly for you. 
you want to pick a place that has that works for your vibe, a producer that works for your vibe. Maybe it's the producer is also the engineer. Take into account your budget, and maybe a hybrid approach is is what's going to be best for you. Maybe doing some stuff at a bigger studio, some stuff at a smaller studio. Uh, and actually have a budget and actually have a budget and like have an idea of what you're going to and be prepared that the budget's going to probably change. <laughs> I was, I was going to say tack on have a budget then tack on 20% at least to that number. Yeah, it's got to be it's got, it can't be a hard number yeah. otherwise you're not going to be happy. Yeah. And uh make sure you're make sure you're practiced, make sure your equipment is in good shape, make sure your playing is in good shape, you're you're ready to roll so that there's n- don't forget your lyrics at home, don't forget your tuner, make sure you're 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 100% in and ready to be in the studio when you get there. Uh, in addition to that, let's just touch on mixing and mastering, which is it's just similar to the producer, similar to the recording studio. You want to you want to pick somebody within your budget that understands the vibe, understands the sound you want. You know, if you're a hip hop, you know, if you're a hip hop guy, you're not going to want to go to a rock mixer, and if and and the opposite, you know. So and mastering is a similar situation. I I personally wasn't wasn't. I had an album and I mastered it and I hated it because he wasn't getting my vibe. And then I sat with him and we remastered it and then it was the way I wanted it to be. So uh, make sure you're also clear and upfront with, I guess this goes also back to the producer and the studio that you're going to to begin with, is make sure you're, you're upfront with the people you're working with in terms of what you want to accomplish, the sound you want to accomplish. The even if it's just like the chemistry between you guys, like I want it to be a chill vibe. I want you to be on top of me. Like all these things can be discussed. Don't leave anything off the table. Be upfront about everything, and and give references. Play people tracks. Show them other bands that you want it to sound like. So basically, you want to create a dialogue with the mixer, with the master, the same as you would with the producer and the studio you're working with of what you want to accomplish, what you want it to sound like, what you want the rapport to be between you guys. Be upfront about everything and things won't fall between the cracks. If you show the mastering engineer what you want it to sound like, he'll know to master it like that and not like how he would just by nature master it. It's like come maybe come with an example of like five tracks that you're like, I like the way that this, this exactly. is Exactly. Yeah, references. And I mean, you should still choose the mastering engineer based on what he's done, if you like the stuff that he's done, but even more so, you have to make sure that they're doing the work you want them to do. Because when I when I got my my record mastered, it didn't come out the way I wanted it to at first. And as I said, I had to re I had to remaster it with the guy. Which then, album was that? My my the my one LP. The King. Kings and Things. Kings and Things. Yeah, you could check it out. It's on iTunes and stuff. Oh my god. <laughs> I think I will. Yeah. I've already checked it I out. I think my I, I think my engineering <laughs> skills have improved quite a bit since then and I understand what mastering is a lot more than I did back then, but anyways, the the point is I or I knew what I wanted and the and the mastering engineer didn't know what I wanted and I was just uh intimidated and didn't really know yeah, basically, I didn't know what to do. And then I grabbed my grabbed life by the by the by the horns, and I and I trusted my ears, and I went back and redid it, and because I knew what I wanted, and I just had to like ride on that. And so I'm sure that if you're making a record, you know what you want, and you have to be clear with the people you work with about what you want. You grab those horns and you ride. Yeah, that's basically my piece. I like that. I like it. Yeah, and you know all those things qualified that they fall within your budget. <laughs> right. Cool. I think that's. I think those are some great tips. I think we touched on a lot of stuff, and um, going into the studio is a very special thing. Um, I think regardless of where you are on the spectrum, whether you're just starting out, whether it's your first recording or your hundredth, there's always a magic that happens when you walk into a room to record. Um, nice. It's like what's going to happen. You know, yeah. what's it going to be today? Is it going to come out like I thought? Maybe even sometimes it comes out better. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a really, really special aspect of music. We're very uh, privileged to live in an age where we have the instant gratification, nearly instant gratification of going in, having an idea and being able to pop it out like relatively instantaneously. Yeah. Like it's it's like a pop tart, you know, which creates saturation in the market, of course, but on a, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the personal level as an artist to be able to just pick up 
have an idea and just lay it down from from concept to product with it could be hours and like you know or you know if you're doing a whole album it'll take a while but like you can already hear it you can just go in lay it down listen to it in the control room i can lay down a track and go and listen to the control room and like it's even quicker than it was with tape it's just everything is so quick that there is a re- there is really a magic to it yeah and it- Honestly, like I get really, I was, I was saying before that, like my, I like my creative juices, like bounce, you know, I get them from the studio. Like it informs my art and like just the way my art informs the recording. Like it, it all kind of builds on each other. Like I like getting, you know, getting my feet wet and getting diving in and like, you know, getting messy with sounds and stuff. And it just like that, that creative process just like really like resonates with me and which is why I got into this. And, uh, yeah, it's magic. Yeah. Once you get started, it's hard to stop. Yeah, there is that. There's this that gut instinct thing, you know, like, like if all the if all your prep work was done, and you have the right guy in the right place, and you rehearse and everything, then it just creates like a vessel for there to be even more magic. Yeah, totally. So make magic happen, people. Yeah. Go do your recording. Be proud. Stand proud. Yeah. Keep making music. Don't give up on recording. Maybe it'll sell. cheers guys cheers well there you have it guys thank you so much for listening to our latest episode on what to know before hitting the studio we had a good time recording this and we hope you enjoyed all the takeaways and the tips and tricks that we gave you thank you again once again for listening you guys are awesome For more information about Jukebox Java, you can obviously visit us at our website at jukeboxjava.com. And if you go to jukeboxjava.com slash subscribe, you can sign up and receive a free template of how to budget a tour for your band that Yakir made and used successfully for his own band. So check that out. Definitely worth the subscription. You can also find us on Instagram at username jukeboxjava and on Facebook at facebook.com slash jukeboxjava and even on Twitter at Twitter username at jukeboxjava pod pod at the end. Thank you as always, you beautiful listeners for subscribing and listening. We appreciate every single one of you. So you guys have an amazing week and we'll see you next time. Jukebox Java.